0: Hello and welcome to Football is Art, a brand new podcast that is going to be looking at football as an art form. Um, I will say from the outset, if you're looking for a stats-driven, analysis-heavy podcast in the modern sense, this is not the podcast for you. I am going to be looking at football as if it was a Greek tragedy and, and all the many different stories that are told during a game, from players' expressions to a goal being scored. We're going to look at the moments throughout football history, uh, specifically throughout my football history of me watching games in my 28 years on this planet. Uh, uh, just the games that that made us jump out of our seats, the the moments of joy and the freedom of expression shown by players um, throughout the years. We're going to be looking at old games, we're going to be looking at uh, players, um, old players, current players, maybe future players and, and the, the creativity that they show. Um, the ingenuity that they bring to the game Um, my background is in coaching i will say that i absolutely do appreciate and understand the importance um, of analysis and stats and data um, in the modern game in putting together a modern team because very quickly you can find yourself at a disadvantage if every other team is using um, statistical analysis and they can look at opponents uh, in in different ways and you're not doing that, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So yes, that stuff is an extremely important component in putting together a modern day football team. For me, it's not the be all and end all though. Um, For me, there still has to be room for creativity, for romance, football romance has to be there. Um, So this is kind of my manifesto I suppose, in in how I view the game and how I'd like the game to be played. Um, Not everyone's going to agree with it, absolutely. People maybe don't. They see it. Uh, One of my issues, I suppose, I have with modern-day coaching, I'm a coach myself, I'll get into that in a minute, is that there is a lack of creativity, a lack of thinking outside the box in, in some ways, that you have to play football in a certain Barcelona 2009 to 2012 way and if you don't play it that way somehow you're doing football wrong there is no way to do football wrong um, and I like football played a certain way other people like it played another way and that's fine but one opinion isn't better than the other how Ireland play football under Jack Charlton or how Ireland play football under Martin O'Neill and Rick McCarthy isn't wrong it mightn't be great to watch at times but it's not wrong um mightn't be my cup of tea either but it's not wrong so my background is i'm a coach uh, myself uh, i'm 28 years old i'm from dublin um in ireland i am a coach with Malahide united my local club uh, coach of the senior third team um and i coach the bohemian fc um amputee team in the national league we're currently top of that league when we've stopped before lockdown um hopefully get back to that for, I am an FAI C license holder, which is basically for those of you outside of Ireland or for those of you not in the know, is the level below the UEFA um, B license in this country. Um, hopefully, I will move on to that in the coming years when uh, lockdown ever ends. This podcast is a baby of lockdown. Um, it's come from sheer boredom um, in the last week or so, where I thought, right, I'm watching all these old games, I'm re- listening to books, um, I'm reading books. How do I express? um my thoughts and feelings and absolutely i understand that there is a, a quite a, a stereotype about young white men um thinking that their thoughts uh are worthy of being uh, listened to by others but this is basically just a, a passion project for me just to kind of talk about football really um so if you want to listen fantastic if you don't want to listen now's your time to switch off um, today, we're going to be looking, as it is the 15th anniversary of the Champions League final in 2005, we're going to be looking at the incredible game where Liverpool FC somehow came back and beat AC Milan on penalties to lift the Champions League. I will say as well, just one last caveat before we get into it, that there is going to be some bias in this show. Um, the bias comes from me being a Liverpool fan, being a Bohemians fan, and being an Ireland fan. Um, so I will attempt to look at other games it isn't just going to be exclusively Liverpool games it isn't just going to be exclusively um Irish players it's going to be a mixture I'm going to talk about um Manchester United's victory in the Champions League final in 1999 in a few episodes time um, and look at the kind of romance and and the, the 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 joy of that game I suppose for so many people um so I will try and keep my bias as limited as possible but at times it is going to So don't think that I hate your football team just because I'm watching it through a Liverpool lens. I'm going to try and watch it through um, a kind of football-loving lens. So there's only one way to start um, as we get into this episode, and that is to relive that night through the eyes of the people that were there. In goes the free kick, and the shot comes in, and it's in! Milan have scored! seconds for Milan would you believe it it's Paolo Maldini that must be one of the quickest goals in the final of the Champions League and it's all gone wrong in the first minute it's a wretched wretched start for Liverpool Liverpool could be stretched again and it's Shevchenko inside the penalty area and he's got Crespo in support goes no, Shevchenko crosses it's 2-0 Crespo from close range has double Milan's lead it's Liverpool nil AC Milan two, and this final is over can't get there. Oh, what a pass, two for Crespo. Crespo's through, this could going to be 3-0, and it is 3-0. And oh, what a goal that is. And it's going from bad to worse. And Milan now playing football out of this world. Nobody can live with this. Wow, this is just absolutely awful for Liverpool. Another opportunity from Risa it towards Gerrard! The goal from Steven Gerrard of Liverpool! Captain's goal! Let's give us something for the fights to show up, but... here we go! Still, still time maybe for the impossible to happen here. out, 25 yards out, doesn't shoot, but Smiths alive! Yes. It's in! It's in! Chabi Alonso. This to equalise. Yes, equalise for Liverpool. Come on Chabi. Alonso misses, but Alonso puts in the rebound. And Mission Impossible is accomplished. What to say from Shevchenko by Jersey Dudek. How did he keep that out? Astonishing. Andrei Shevchenko, the European Footballer of the Year. The star man in the Milan side. Must score. He must score. He saved it! Dudek saves! For Liverpool! And Liverpool have won the Champions League! This is amazing. Can you believe it? Oh. Don't believe me i just don't believe it once a european champion always a european champion and at a quarter to one this thursday morning in istanbul liverpool are champions of europe it's liverpool's night liverpool have their hands on the european cup again and this time it's for keeps so that's the game we're looking at of course the 2005 champions League final was a classic it is and remains to this day 15 years on Probably the most memorable game of my life. I will get into how I watched the game, how I felt during the game, later on in the podcast. But where do you start? This match has been covered comprehensively by everyone in the football media and infinitely better by other people um, over the last 15 years. So where do you start? That You, I think, have to give the context of how this game came to be. We start, of course, I think, with AC Milan. They had won the Champions League two years previously at Old Trafford, beating Juventus in the worst Champions League final, I think that's fair to say, of all time. A nil-all draw, and then they won on penalties. It was two Italian sides, two defensive Italian sides, up against one another. The, Italian, uh, the, the AC Milan side was a typical Italian side, and really, really strong at the back. It's hard to see any weaknesses when you look at their starting eleven. How did they get to the final that year? Well, they topped their group in the group stages. They had Barcelona, Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic. Barcelona, at the time, weren't the force that they came to be. They were still kind of in progress under Frank Reichardt. They would go on to win the Champions League 12 months later um, after this final. But, at the time, weren't really um, the force that they came to be. Um, the Ronaldinho was still their star player. They did only lose once in that group stage. They lost to Barcelona to a last minute Ronaldinho goal in the new camp. To the 2-1 victory for Barcelona, I think. And they drew their last game with Celtic at Celtic Park. But they had already topped the group at that point. So I'm not really sure how erst they were. They went on to the knockout stages. Um and then the last 16 they beat Manchester United. They beat them 1-0 home and away. Hernan Crespo got both goals. Then in the quarterfinals, they played Inter Milan in a Milan derby. They won 2-0 in the home fixture in the San Siro. And then in the away fixture in the San Siro, they were 1-0 up with about 20 minutes to go. And the Inter fans started to throw flares onto the pitch. One of them hit Dida. Very famous incident. Uh, Dida went down. The game was then abandoned. They were awarded the, the win 3-0. So they won 5-0 in aggregate. There's a very famous picture of Marco Materazzi. Leaning on Rui Costa's shoulders, um, looking at the wall of flares um, down the other end. Uh, they went on to the semi final and they faced PSV. Now, PSV that season were a very, very decent side um, off the top of my head. They had Mark van Bommel and they were a very efficient team. Uh, Philip Koku as well. They won the home leg, AC Man did. They won the home leg 2 0. Um, against PSV and seemed on course to stroll into their seventh final in about 16 years. And they went away to Philips Stadion in Eindhoven, and things didn't go all their way. They were 2 0 down um, with very little time remaining. It looked like the game's going to go to extra time. And in the 91st minute, Massimo Ambrosini popped up with a goal. Um, now, I remember watching this on RTE back in the day, and I think Liverpool had qualified maybe the night before. Uh, so it was like, oh my God, PSV or, or, or AC Milan. I'd rather have played PSV, who I, who I considered the weaker of the two sides. Um, Ambrosini got a goal, made it 2 1. Look, they were going to go through. Philip Kock, actually did go up the other end and get a goal back uh, in injury time, later in injury time, but it was not to be. So they. Went through on away goals, three all. They went through on away goals to the final, but they were still, again, the overwhelming favourites. They hadn't really been tested that much throughout. They had a bit of scare in the second leg of the semi-final against a decent PSV team, who haven't reached those heights since. As to Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool, as we know, they they scraped through the group stages, Um, they lost away in Greece to Olympiakos, they lost away in Monaco and to a Javier Saviola goal, they came into their last group game at home to Olympiakos and obviously had to win the game by two clear goals, Rivaldo got a free kick in the first half despite a lot of Liverpool pressure and then in the second half, Liverpool needed to come out and score some goals and they didn't really, they weren't set up to do that under Rafa Benitez for any period of time really um, until maybe Fernando Torres came in, but even at that Liverpool never really scored 3 or 4 in a game, it was a semi-frustrating period if you're a Liverpool fan, it was very defense, defensively orientated Um, a Pongo got a goal back, Antonio Nunez no, it was Neil Mellor, N- Nunez headed it down, had a header, was saved, Mellor put it into the net, and then Obviously, it was about eight, nine minutes ago. Stephen Steven Gerrard popped up with that goal. Oh, you beauty. And they made it through by the skin of their teeth to the knockout stages, where they drew a pretty favourable draw. They drew Bayern Leverkusen, who they saw off 3-1 home and away. Now, the home game, they were 3-0 up and cruising, and they conceded a very last-minute sloppy goal. And it seemed, oh... Is that going to be an issue? But Luis Garcia got a couple of goals early in the first half of the second leg and in the end they ran away with it 6-2 on aggregate. They then got drawn against Juventus in the quarter-finals. Juventus is an extremely strong side at the time at Nedved, Cannavaro, Del Piero, uh, maybe at his peak. Um, It was 20 years since the Heysel disaster and obviously two sides involved it was a very emotional evening at Anfield for the first leg Liverpool got off to a cracking start Sammy Hoopia got a great goal Luis Garcia scored an absolute screamer but Luis Garcia probably the most frustrating player I think I've ever watched in a Liverpool jersey could pop up with these incredible moments but then just most of the time I seem to just wander around the pitch giving the ball away I'm um, getting pushed off the ball because he was a very slight man um, they were two tuning up seems to be doing all right. Liverpool actually had Scott Carson, remember him, in goal for his debut. I think he was about 18. he just signed from Leeds. Uh, Chris Kirkland and Jerzy Dudek were both injured and Scott Carson was given the nod in goal. He made a great save from Del Piero in the first half. Second half though, Juve pushed on pressure looking for a way goal. They did eventually get it through Cannavaro. It was a Weak enough header That probably should have been saved Um, Maybe it was a sign Of things to come For Scott Carson um, Who wasn't goal If I remember correctly For the England-Croatia game The famous game At Wembley in 2007 uh, The Wally With the Broly game So Liverpool went to Turin Knowing that They needed to score Really Which again That season for Liverpool they didn't score many Mike Lone had left the season before Robbie Fowler had left a few years before Anna Heskey had left they, There was no real goal scorers in the team Milan Baris had an unbelievable year of 2004 But hadn't really recreated that form for Liverpool Durable Cisse had gotten a really bad leg break um, in Blackburn and missed most of the season And never really hit the heights at Liverpool When he came back um, Gerard hadn't really turned into Maybe a, a, a goal scoring centre midfielder To the extent that he would become So goals were at a premium for this Liverpool team. Uh, So it was going to be a very stringent defensive effort um, a week later in Turin. Gerrard was injured um, and somehow Liverpool held out for a nil-all draw and and got through to a semi-final, unlikely semi-final, against Chelsea. Jose Mourinho versus Rafa Benitez would be a long-running rivalry. Uh since probably since then. Um but it was probably at its peak between two thousand and four to two thousand and seven-ish, when Liverpool managed to beat Chelsea twice in Champions League semi-finals. Um Chelsea, though, really had the upper hand domestically. Chelsea had wiped the rest of the Premier League clean. Um they got ninety-five points that season, which was at the time a Premier League record. Uh they only lost once. They had more wins and more points than the Invincibles two years before. And they'd beaten Liverpool home and away. Liverpool had lost fourteen times that that uh that year in the Premier League. Fourteen times, and they lost at the likes of Crystal Palace, who got relegated. They didn't just get lost. They, they they got they seemed to get beaten every single every second weekend. Uh, fourteen times. So in context Liverpool lost once in the twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen season to Manchester City. Um fourteen times. I I I don't really like I remember Liverpool being frustrating, but it was just so alien that they'd lost fourteen times um back there. So Chelsea again, over overwhelming favourites. Liverpool probably had one world class player in Stephen Gerrard Shabby Alonso was inconsistent at the time, but you know, could see he was gonna be a good player. No one else really of note. Chelsea had obviously been spending money for a couple of years. It brought in at the time the best manager in the world, or the the young, the the best upcoming up and coming manager at the time, in Jose Mourinho. And they'd obviously gone on this mad run. Frank Lampard had hit the heights. Drogba hadn't quite hit the heights yet, but was very very effective. Idris Johnson was excellent player. Then Iron Robin, Damien Duff, Joe Cole, John Terry. Peter Cech, <laughs> I could go on and on, Carvalho at the back was incredible, they'd go on to sign Ashley Cole the, the next summer after that and they were just an unstoppable force it seemed. The first game at Stamford Bridge, from what I remember, was a very, very dour game, nothing really happened um, from what I recall, it was poor game, um, Liverpool kind of held out, didn't get an away goal, but it seemed to be advantage of Chelsea. He thought, Chelsea score once, Liverpool are going to find it difficult to score twice. We all know what happened in the semi-final. An early ghost goal from Luis Garcia and Liverpool held on to get to their first Champions League European Cup final in 20 years. Which was to be in Istanbul at the Atatürk Stadium against AC Milan. So it was Liverpool's first Champions League final for 20 years, as I said. They hadn't reached uh, the European Cup. They'd only played in the European Cup, I think, twice since 1985. Obviously, there was a five-year ban after Heysel, but then struggled during the 90s to hit those heights again as Manchester United became the dominant force in English football. Milan, on the other hand, since Liverpool had played in the Champions League final, had played in six finals and won for them. This was their seventh final since 1989. And they just seemed, um, on the night... In the week sitting up to it, although I felt, yeah, OK, Liverpool have come through all this and they're in the European Cup final. There didn't really seem to be any semblance of a chance to beat this brilliant AC Milan team. How they had done in this league, Liverpool obviously, as we said, lost 14 times. they had finished 5th in the league So they were outside of the Champions League places. Um, It was a big deal at the time. Everton had finished fourth. There was a talk of like, if Liverpool win the title, will they be allowed to defend their championship? Um, Carlo Ancelotti, the AC Milan manager, said, well, I believe they should, but I think we'll solve the problem for the English FA. And the FA went to UEFA and said, well, if Liverpool lobbied for Liverpool and said, if Liverpool win, they deserve their chance, but we don't want to take it away from Everton, who did earn it over the course of the season. Now... Since the rules have changed, Chelsea finished outside the top four in 2012 and won the Champions League and qualified at Tottenham, who'd finished fourth, expense, if I remember correctly. Um, so that, that that rule has since changed. But it was a big deal at the time. Will Liverpool be allowed back in if they, on the off chance, they win the Champions League? AC Milan had finished second to Juventus in Italy. They were top with four games to go, uh, but they seemed to kind of tire as the season went on arson wenger this is all information that uh i actually found the the, the wikipedia page very very helpful um <laughs> if, if i'm being perfectly honest arson wenger in the wikipedia page and i found the quote uh he said that he actually thought liverpool would win because he thought that ac milan had tired and looked fatigued towards the end of this area season but he also didn't really mention in the article as I've mentioned here that Liverpool had lost 14 times that season um, and weren't a great outfit. If you compare the Liverpool team of 2005 to the Liverpool team that won the treble in 2001 by winning the League Cup, the FA Cup and the UEFA Cup the the 2005 team was a shadow of that team Um, so I know it's a cup competition but everything stated that AC Milan should go on to win this game so the two sides that were put out on the day in goal Dirty Dudek for Liverpool obviously uh, in goal was Dirty Dudek Steve Finnan uh, right back Jamie Carragher and Sammy Hoopie at centre back Jimmy Traore at left back Luis Garcia at right midfield Shabby Alonso and Steven Gerrard in middle of the park Jarno Narisa at left mid up front in a kind of strange turn of events was Milan Barrish, who was probably Liverpool's most potent attacker at the time, and Harry Kewell, who played in a kind of just-behind-Baros um, role. Now, Kehl had signed from Leeds a couple of years before, never really hit the heights he had at Leeds. I've actually been watching clips of Liverpool from that era in the last couple of weeks, and Kewell actually got some decent goals and decent assists, but his performance level and what seemed like his attitude never really shone through it, it never gave you the impression that this is someone that's given their all um it, it felt like he had way more to offer so he was the probably the controversial will he won't he um start the game he only lasted 23 minutes before he was replaced by vladimir smitzer but it was a very kind of i remember reading the team going harry Kuhl. Kiel, harry kills in the team here we are so ac milan on the other hand and this team is just filled with names it's Dida. Dida and goal, Cafu at right back, Yapstam and Alessandro Nesta in uh, centre back, the legendary Paolo Maldini at left back, in midfield, Gennaro Catuzzo, Andrea Pirlo, Clarence Seydorf and Kaka, and up front, Hernan Crespo and Andrei Shevchenko, who at the time was the European Player of the Year. So the Liverpool team, in the Liverpool wider Team That day Including the bench Five players Had a UEFA Cup medal From 2001 Jamie Carragher Sammy Hoopia Steven Gerrard Vladimir Smietzer And Didi Hammond So they had all won A UEFA Cup Four years previously Which is You know Nothing to be to be Scoffed at But Is of a certain level In the AC Milan team Dida Yapstam, Nesta Maldini Pirlo Gattuso Seydorf Shevchenko uh, Rui Costa, Sergio Caladze, Costa Curta, Abiati all had Champions League winners' medals. Previously with, Yapstam had won it with Manchester United in ninety nine, and the rest of them had won it with AC Milan. Pippo Inzaghi wasn't even included in the matchday squad. He was left out. That is the depth that AC Milan had going into that game. They could have easily just, Played him And up front In a 4-3-3 system Maybe dropped G- Gattuso or it, And they been even, even more potent Inzaghi would get Two goals two years later When they got revenge over Liverpool And won the Champions League So that is the The extent So of the starting 11 Only Hernan Crespo Didn't have a Champions League Winners medal And Cafu didn't have Champions, Champions League Winnings medal But Cafu was a World Cup Winning captain So he had a decent Pedigree to say the least Um it's, it it's Kathleen was the benchmark I think for most right backs these these days, um, but yeah they they were just a star sort of team that had won it all. There was nothing honestly. I just remember there was I remember looking at their team on the night going how how is Jimmy Triori going to stop, Shevchenko Crespo and Kaka. It, it, it's just not feasible. Like, you look at the Liverpool team. Yes, I said do had been a decent goalkeeper, had a few calamities to he came in. in, his Liverpool career started really, really strongly and then there was the the game against Manchester United where he dropped the ball twice to Forlan and he just never seemed to really recover again, He this was actually his last game as Liverpool's number one before they signed Pepe Reina but they just didn't have any consistency in goal throughout the season, Chris Kirkland had come in and played, obviously Scott Carson had played a couple of times due to injuries and you're just your goalkeeper is the most important position for me because it your whole team is built on the knowledge that if everyone gets past us there's still a really strong dependable goalkeeper behind you and liverpool didn't have that at the back it's steve finnan who was a very very dependable very underrated right back would go on to liverpool's right back for the next four or five years but didn't have any you know wow factor as maybe an Alexander-Arnold would going forward as I said very reliable at defending very underrated but no wow factor at all in the middle Jamie Carragher Samhupia Carragher was considered you know he played right back he played left back he played in midfield to Liverpool settled at centre back and no one outside of Liverpool circles really saw him as any Good, it's fair to say he kind of on the periphery of the England team, but he he was a, a decent. He, this season was probably the season that he grew into being a really strong centre back in terms of English centre backs. At the time, obviously Rio Ferdinand, Saw Campbell, John Terry. Carragher wasn't spoken about in those, in in the same bracket as those players. Sammy Hoopier. For, well, I remember Sammy Hoopier was Liverpool, but he probably. The most value for money Liverpool have ever got out of a player. They signed him for about 1.2 million or something, from to Wey, I think, in in a, in the Netherlands. And he came in and was became club captain. And he was extremely reliable, always popped up with a few goals, but didn't really have any much pace. He could read again really well, but didn't have much pace. And you worried about him against Crespo, Shevchenko and Kaka and their movement and would he be stressed all the place. And then at left back, Jimmy Tori, who was just a calamity. Obviously had obviously been at fault famously in the third round of the FA Cup that year when he had done a kind of Cruyff turn into his own net away at Burnley. He were just a lowly um, championship side at the time. And he, he just seemed like a walking disaster. As I said earlier, in midfield, we move on to Garcia. Garcia was just frustrating. As I said, he could pop up with these moments of genius, a 25-yard volley... Uh, a lob and we got a goal against norwich that season away carrow road it was a beautiful lob but seemed to be knocked off the ball really easily was very much suited to the spanish game small player played little passes nice little movements but when it became really physical didn't have wasn't cut out for it but popped up with important goals was he a game changer probably not as I said, inconsistently creative creative, so you wondered, um, was he the man to unlock the, the unlock the Milan defence, but looking at the Milan defence you didn't think so. In midfield, Xavi Alonso come in, it was his first season in Liverpool. He had done relatively well, got some good goals, some good performances, didn't really think that he was going to be all that. I I actually remember thinking at the end of the season, um uh, how good was Alonso he would obviously go on to be probably well, he's one of the most decorated footballers of all time but he, he was just he uh, became different gravy but at the time wasn't really setting the world alight. left mid before he go on to the main man was John Arisa who moved from kind of left back played left back a couple of times a lot played left mid very very effective player hadn't really hit the heights of maybe his first couple of seasons but could do a job for you um, was more defensively minded I think so he, he wasn't the, the kind of creative I'm going to do a step over beach and swing one in he was going to stay all wide hold back a little bit maybe get some balls in and if he had the chance to shoot he would and then in the middle of the park Stephen Jarrett who hadn't yet reached those heights um, I suppose of uh the <laughs> what he would go on to do and this was kind of the moment where he really announced to the world that yeah i'm, I'm Stephen Jarrett, and i'm gonna grab this Liverpool team by the scruff of the neck and take them to the next level um i'm gonna play a clip now in a, in, a, in a minute um of of what was said about Stephen Jarrett at halftime in the Ortiz studio on irish television which was very entertaining considering what happened next then as i said earlier about harry Kewell played there and milan barris as well i said he he had been the top goal scorer at Euro two thousand four looked like he's gonna take over the mantle from from a, Michael never never really happened for him. Left Liverpool a couple of seasons later, um went on for an okay career but but never set the world alight. And coming off the bench, Vladimir Smietzer was playing his last game for Liverpool, had been effective, was going to be moved on by Menitez, came on after twenty-three minutes for Harry Kuhl. Didi Hamman came on at halftime, which we'll get into, and Djiro CC coming back from a horrific leg break, which at the time was a really, really great story for him. So, let's get into the game. Um, the game starts. I'm sitting there as the a 13-year-old, watching Liverpool, my team, in a Champions League final. I'd grown up in a period during the... Late 90s, early 2000s where Manchester United and Arsenal were the dominant forces. I'd watch them every Tuesday and Wednesday in in the Champions League and Liverpool on a Thursday in the uh, UEFA Cup. And I'd watch Chelsea on a Thursday in the Cup Winners' Cup in the 90s. And I always kind of wondered, oh, I wish Liverpool were on ITV or RTE's coverage or TV3's coverage on a Tuesday or Wednesday, but Sunday. And they did have a couple of runs um, in the two thousand and uh, in the 0-1-0-2 Champions League, um, they got to the quarterfinals and lost to Bayer Leverkusen. In the next season, they were in the Champions League, but they went out in the group stages. So I never really got deep into the competition as such, and I remember always wanting that, and here was my team finally reaching the promised land, as such. And after 50 seconds, after less than 50 seconds, Jimmy Chirori took down Kaka in the left-back position for Liverpool. And I thought, oh, that was my worry before the game. But here we are. Pirlo cut back a free kick and Pena Maldini knocked it into the net with a lovely volley down into the ground. Beat Diodek, no chance. 1-0 after 50 seconds. And what was already a mammoth task just became even harder. Um Maldini already had four Champions League winners' medals and European Cup winners medals, and you're thinking, oh, he's gonna lift it again. Five Champions League winners' medals. What a player he was. So it was the quickest goal in Champions League final history. Liverpool did actually in the next 15-20 minutes, they kind of came out of their, their shell a little bit. I'm, I'm just looking at the highlights here. Um, they, they, they did come out of their shell a little bit, and they tried to play. Um, a game of sorts they try to stick to their game plan even though they're 1-0 down there's something interesting as I watch the highlights here uh, Liverpool and Jamie Carragher even Jared have spoken with this they said to all the players do not touch the trophy on your way out you do not touch that trophy until you win that trophy and they're walking out Liverpool players are wearing their nice jackets and they're not touching it three or four of the Milan players start petting it just you know petting it. Um, you know, saying, Oh hello, old friend, ...Gattuso gives it a little um what you'd probably describe as a bum pat and I don't I don't know if that's bad luck. I uh, but I wouldn't personally do it myself. Um but it's an interesting way that Milan were just so relaxed. They were so relaxed. They were like, Well, we didn't won it two years ago. We're full of World Cup winners, Champions League winners. We'll be fine. Uh Liverpool just look nervous there's just I'm watching Sammy Hubia had a good header from Majera across just after they went one go down and it was right well at least they're attacking they've had a shot on target um, but realistically it was an onslaught uh, for for AC Milan there was a couple of cleared off the lines here's one Hubia nearly knocks it over uh, Dudex head Garcia clears him off the line where realistically it just kind of hits him it doesn't really clear it off the line it's a Crespo header just hits him on the chest. Um Liverpool were they, they just looked second best. They looked absolutely second best for the entire first half really. But amazingly uh there's a goal now I'm I'm I am watching the highlights and talking about this. Milan actually had a goal, a second goal disallowed. It was Shevchenko. He was slightly offside. It was a decent call by the linesman. Um we thought, OK, well, Liverpool got away with one there. Uh, there's another chance here. Traore looked like you pulled Shevchenko down. So Liverpool are struggling to really get a hold of the game. And they go down one end. And Garcia turns inside. And Nesta goes down to tackle him. Sells himself a bit too early. Garcia turns back inside. And Nesta's trailing arm brings the ball with him away from Garcia's path. Garcia turns around, starts screaming. The referee had a really good view of it, actually. The referee doesn't give the penalty. The waves play on and Milan go straight down the other end and score their second goal. Um, it seemed like a massive injustice and I remember thinking at the time, OK, well, Liverpool have to get something you know, back. These things always even themselves out over the course of a season or over the course of a game. Uh, if it's a one-off kind of final game, it'll even itself out over the game. Um did it? Yes, actually. I think it did. Because in the lead-up to Liverpool's first goal or second goal, I can't remember. We're going to find out as we watch the highlights. There was an offside called. Um, but the referee actually ignored it. He didn't see it. Um, so there's the... I'm watching it now. It was clear handball. Nessa moves his arm into the ball. The referee has an unbelievable view of it. Doesn't doesn't give it. Go down the other end. Kaka plays in Shevchenko, who plays across to Crespo. 2-0. Games over. You're thinking there's no way Liverpool are going to score three goals from two nil down against this Milan side that just look like they're going to score every single time they go forward, every single time. It's the ball in there. We go two nil. So at this point, I'm thinking, oh my god, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. Um, this is just going to be painful. Um. Tomorrow, Liverpool tried to get back in the game. They, they pushed on a little bit, but Yap Stam just heading away a ball. there. They looked imperious at the back. They looked like there was no way. And the third goal, um, third Milan goal, is the goal that I want to speak about from a pure artistry, creative way. A ball is played into Kaka, and he's just inside his own half. And the ball comes through, and he sells Steven Gerrard, a dummy, so... Well, Jared should have had to buy a ticket to get back in. Sells it, flicks it with his right foot and turns and is instantly going faster than any other player on the pitch. He's got three Liverpool... I've paused it in the video and he's got three Liverpool players behind him. They're just nowhere near him. And he's travelling faster with the ball than they are without it. And he plays this pass... Around Jamie Carragher. Around the corner. In between Jamie Carragher and Sammy Hoopia, Around the corner. Perfectly curled pass. Into the path of Hernan Crespo. Who's timed his run perfectly. Crespo doesn't break stride. And chips the ball from the edge of the box. Just over the onrushing. It is. Possibly. My favourite goal. Of all time. In terms of pure. Creative. Kaka is up there actually I've got a couple of Kaka goals but this goal given the occasion given the artistry involved the beauty of it the sheer beauty the, 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 the understanding the two players had the way that it perfectly perfectly beats Jamie Carragher Jamie Carragher is reaching out for the ball he's reaching out and he just cannot get there and it beats Carragher and it gets and the flick Over Dudek from Crespo is just divine. It is divinity on a football pitch. It's absolute beauty. It is a fucking Leonardo da Vinci masterpiece. If Michelangelo painted it on a ceiling, it would be talked about for centuries. I I think because of what would transpire in the second half, it's oft forgotten, but it is gorgeous it is gorgeous and that might be the tragedy of it in a way that this goal is is forgotten about because of the beauty of what happens in the second half but you see Crespo's reaction he's just like that was brilliant and the entire team goes and celebrates with them and you can see because they're just like we're going to win the Champions League final 6-7-0 but that was gorgeous So we get to halftime, Liverpool are 3-0 down in the most important game probably in their modern history and it's just not going well. So what is there to say? This is what the pundits um, on RTE had to say at halftime about Liverpool, about AC Milan and specifically about Steven Gerrard. The interesting thing about this match is that I mean I it's a very enjoyable match to yeah. watch isn't it really That's some just, terrific football, just football. Right. It. it was, it was, <laughs> it was to up to the third goal up I think to the Phil, the because goal. Liverpool were still they were still in with yeah. a wee bit of a shout but, but it but could be well, it could be a humiliation now yeah, if they yeah, don't that, sort but let's hope that doesn't Ultimate, happen it was ultimately but you know where's Gerard where's Gerard as usual Gerard in the usual in the big matches has disappeared bill nowhere no influence in the game whatsoever. Liverpool have come up against a real team on the night and they, it's a reality check tonight. Yeah. This is real football that they're, they're totally outclassed. All over the pitch, they've been outclassed. All right. Liverpool being led at half-time by three goals to nil and let's hope it's not a humiliation, but we'll see what happens in the second. So that is how it was viewed on RTE television in Ireland. i to be fair, it was probably similar, similar sentiments um around the continent and around the world of people saying, well, you know, it's just not to be AC Milan or this powerful force and Liverpool are just not there at the moment. Um, So how did I watch the game? I started watching the game. The first half I watched at home in my parents' house. I watched it with myself and my little brother, Kevin, who is also a Liverpool fan. And as I said, it was just complete excitement. I'd always wanted Liverpool to be there and all of a sudden they were there and they were one nil down so I remember the first going, going in and watching it in the front room and my mother came in from the other room and said oh they've scored and uh, you know when you're watching a game of football and your team has just conceded and someone says something really really obvious maybe not isn't uh, into football uh, and they say something and you're just like I don't please don't speak and I said yes they, they did yeah okay it's fine it's fine and then obviously the rest of the first half goes on and Liverpool end up being 3-0 down at half time. So I, I've i actually watched most of the games that season in the Champions League. And, and most Liverpool games across the road in my best friend Owen's house. And Owen and his dad and myself used to watch the games. And I think Owen was at training so I didn't watch the first half of his. But I went over to his house at halftime because so it was 3-0 and we were like, right, well, we better just watch the second half together. So had missed some of the first half because he was coming from his own training with this football team. So I went in and we were kind of making a cup of tea at halftime because we were 13 years old and we were kind of saying, oh, you know, like the game, the second half started, but like, what's the point really? You know, when, when your team has lost a big game and you're just kind of like, what was the point of anything? Um, we're making a a, <laughs> we're making a cup of tea and Owen's dad comes bursting out of the front room in their house and he's kind of like, Liverpool scored, Liverpool scored. So we went, oh, okay. So we went back in and the next six, seven minutes were just, I've never, ever in my entire life felt anything like it, like those six, or seen anything like it. It was just, it's such a David and Goliath moment that Vladimir Smeetser managed to, have a go and that slipped through the fingers of Dita and then Gerard got a penalty and the Alonso missed but it was say he scored and I was just euphoric and then that 10 minutes died down very quickly because there was the realization that there's still half an hour to go in this game and Liverpool you know could have they had the momentum gone on and got fourth but there's so many tales in sports of people climbing the mountain and then being kicked back down, you see it a lot in tennis actually when players are two sets down in kind of Wimbledon and Grand Slams, and they get it back to two sets all, but they 've they 've used so much energy to to get back to parity that when they need that final push to go over the uh, over the mountain to use another mountain analogy, they struggle um, so there was the, the thought that well you know we did score three times, but this Milan side is still. Has a front three of Kaka, Crespo and Shevchenko. They can score if they want to. If they just raise the bar um, even a little bit, Liverpool will struggle. In the next half an hour, I don't really remember much of the game. I've seen the game back and nothing. there's no major chances, to be fair. Um couple of cleared off the lines... A couple, I think Traore cleared one off the line, but Milan actually had chances before Gerrard got Liverpool back in the game. Milan had chances to go four, five nil up, um, and and didn't take them. So we get to extra time, and I had a very nervous deposition dip- watching Liverpool um, and Ireland as a youngster. So once I got into extra time, I was like, I, I can't watch this. I cannot watch this. It's too much for me to take. Um, I think the heartbreak would have been too much because, you know, they give me so much hope. So I just started going outside and doing laps of the road for a good half an hour and I was getting like things relayed to me about what was happening. And you know, I'd done it during the semi final against Chelsea, and Owen was standing in his front door, his dad was telling him what was happening and he was telling me what was happening as I passed his house on these loops I was doing off the road. And, you know, when Dudek made that save from in in extra time all i heard and i heard from all the houses on the road she's like oh oh and then i was like what happened and then Owen told me and at this point i think my dad and my brother were over in owen's house and we were just watching and then once it got to penalties i was weirdly calm i said do you know what they got it to penalties they can't lose the game in a moment it's controlled moment um there's no randomness to it, or you think the ball's going one way and then it goes back to the other. It's, it's a shot on goal and that's it. And obviously, score, you know, a few penalties and, and, and win the game and it was incredible. But I was 13 years old, couldn't really celebrate it as I would now, obviously. Um, so... That was how I viewed the game. the Second half, or most of the second half, and most of extra time, I think I was just doing sprints around my road because I I didn't have the the stomach for it, didn't have the heart for it. So. How did How did Liverpool get to that point? You can look at the stats, and you can look at. Uh, analysis, and they brought on Didi Haman to kind of stem Kaka's influence, um and allowed Gerard to maybe push on a little bit and you can you can look at that and absolutely that's a vital part of what did actually happen people talk about what happened in you know Benitez must have given some amazing speech and it's been debunked many times by Jimmy Carragher and he's just said that didn't actually happen he told Jimmy Troy he was coming off and he was going to bring on Didi Hamann and then Steve Finnan said he was injured and they had to bring Traore back on and then they were like okay Hamann's coming on and Hamann's Reese's is going to go to left back, and, you know, Hamann came on anyway, at half time, and, and nothing, they say nothing was really kind of said, there was no heart like speech, you know, there was no rousing of the troops, there was a few kind of like, right, you know, we have to go out and do this, and the fans were singing You'll Never Walk Alone, and, and I'm of the, I am of the vein, I, I do genuinely believe that on any given day, any group of 11 men, or women, can beat, another group of 11 men or women there is no yes talent exists and a natural ability to read a game and a natural ability from years of experience to be able to do certain things to a certain degree and you've obviously worked hard and trained hard and you have a a the the, the elite best players do have whether it's a natural deposit deposit deposition that's probably the wrong phrase but whether they ha- it's natural or whether it's from years of learning and hard work and training they are 100% capable of rolling you over easily but I do genuinely believe that on any given day 11 men or 11 women can beat 11 others absolutely if you work hard enough and you have the right mentality and yes you get a certain level of luck football can do anything the football can do anything it can go anywhere and this is where I speak about the romance and the, the artistry of football everything, all of the stats all of the analysis pointed before the game at an AC Milan win and pointed at half time at an AC Milan win and yet somehow they didn't go home with a trophy how, how does that happen? because football is art it is a greek tragedy it's so many like you look at that that game is a microcosm of 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 every as a as a liverpool fan that night, i went through every emotion I went through hope and expectation to instantly be told that's not going to happen and then my pain and woe got even worse as the first half went on and then the second half you get that hope back and then it becomes you know the fighting spirit and then all of a sudden it's pure unadulterated joy and euphoria and then suspense kicks in the tension kicks in of one kick of a football of Jertie Didek's save his movement The expression on Luis Garcia's face in that first half when he doesn't get the penalty. The tragedy of the picture of him turning, pleading to the referee as Nesta, still in motion, has a ball just after hitting his arm, looking nervously back. you take that as a single screenshot, it's art. It's pure... Art and it happens live. it happens in the context of a ninety minute or a hundred twenty minute game, but it happens live. it happens as you're seeing it, and there's fan reactions to it people shouting, people screaming, people in pain, other people looking relieved. It's just pure theater. And then to instantly go down the other end, and the pain that you just felt from that decision not going your way is compounded by a goal, and the other people down the other end, the other set of supporters are having a euphoric moment, and it's you know you're looking at if you're looking at it neutrally, you're going this is such a mad con construct. I don't know if that's right right turn of phrase but mad concept that there is this unbelievable sadness down one end and then the other end it's like they've just been born you know it's it's incredible um and that, that's kind of what this series is going to look at those moments the contrasting feelings um, we'll look at the Leicester um Watford playoff game from uh, about seven eight years ago when Leicester missed the penalty and then instantly Watford went up the other end and and scored and and you take those moments and photography is brilliant for this. You, so many brilliant if you if you go on say Sportsfile or Info in Ireland or Getty Images worldwide or wherever um, international sports photography can be can be seen. They capture those moments as I spoke earlier about the the moment of the Marco Materazzi leaning on Rui Costa both from different teams you know different rival teams in the same city looking at this wall of flares coming from one faction because their team is losing it's like what other realm does this exist in and it doesn't there's no other sport there's no other thing in the world that this happens in to this extent in so many different parts of the planet. Nothing. And yes, you can go it can go too far sometimes. People can get hurt, people can get killed. But tribalism and 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 how you feel depending on what your group does can't be matched by anything else kind of losing the train my my the run of myself a little bit here but as I said nothing you listen to those pundits earlier nothing suggested Liverpool could do this but just pure belief and there was nothing special I don't think about any of the Liverpool goals. Stephen Jared's header is technically a very very good header I'll give him that Smita's shot was... should have been saved. The penalty was saved. But these moments, they they, they, they just happen. And when they happen, it's incredible. Um, and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at these moments. We're going to look at crowd reactions. We're going to look at moments that players... Um, create as I said there was nothing spectacularly creative about what Liverpool did but that first goal that Kaka, or the, the the sorry, the Milan third goal where Kaka created is just next level It's as I said it's probably the most gorgeous goal it's definitely the best goal I think Liverpool have ever conceded ever um, that I've seen so yeah that's that's where we are, That that's, that's how how the rest of this series is going to be framed, I'm going to look at the coaching and, and what I see, I'm, as I said it's kind of a manifesto, I'm going to look at how I see football being taught to coaches and how coaches coach it, because um, I think that's important, because it's something I feel passionate about. So yeah, let's get back anyway. Before I went off a bit of a tangent there, but Liverpool got it back to three 0 and Milan, to their credit, to Milan because they 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 could have collapsed. They did go back up the other end and try to break Liverpool down again. At this point, Liverpool had just sheer determination. Jamie Carragher was cramping up. Steven Gerrard was everywhere. He was playing left back. He was playing right back, he was playing centre mid, he was playing up front, he was making tackles, he was playing crossfield passes, he was trying to have to score the winning goal, he was doing everything he possibly could to get Liverpool over the line. And it was the day that he did stand up and say, I'm a world class footballer and I'm as I said, I'm gonna drag this club Um by the scruff of the neck and there I'm gonna take them forward whether they like it or not and he would do the same a year later in the the, the FA Cup final and then as I said Dudek makes that save uh, from Shevchenko Shevchenko downward header it's a perfect technical header down into the ground difficult to save maybe a bit close to the keeper Dudek parries it back he's two yards out probably the best striker in the world at the time is not going to miss He kicks it. It's going in the net. And Jersey Dilek, a maligned goalkeeper, a much maligned goalkeeper for his entire Liverpool career, sticks out a left hand. And the ball somehow goes straight up in the air and goes wide. And people talk about it, I think, in, in the commentary on ITV that night. I think Clive Tilsey says, name on the trophy. He said it six years previously. When Teddy Sheringham scored to equalize for Manchester United, um, for Bayern Munich, and I do have I am I'm a kind of believer in football destiny. I remember when Chelsea in two thousand and twelve came back and Branislav Ivanovic scored against Napoli in the home leg to make it four one, to put them ahead on an aggregate, make it whatever was five four on aggregate. I turned to my brother and I said, they're going to win this competition. And they go on and would win the competition. And I felt when Liverpool scored against... Um, Olympiacos, when Gerrard scored, I said, Liverpool... Not that they're going to go on and win it. I didn't really, truly believe it. But I said, fate and destiny suggest that this moment is leading to a bigger moment. When Tottenham, to be fair, I, I, you can be right, I'm not saying it's an exact science. When Tottenham had a chance uh, against... When Tottenham came back from being nearly out of the Champions League in the group stage last year, I thought, and then Lucas Moore scored at the new camp to get them into the next round, and Inter Milan were fucking it up against uh, PSV. I thought Tottenham could go on and win this. And then they managed to get through against Dortmund, uh, they somehow managed to get through against Man City against all the odds. The same thing happened against Ajax, and I thought, their name is on the trophy but Liverpool on the other hand of that had come through similar circumstances it was just that you kind of expected it from Liverpool you didn't expect it from um, Tottenham and we'll speak about last year's Champions League and the romance and, and of, of football and destiny in a future episode but I did feel that Liverpool had a had a chance of winning that trophy when Gerrard s- scored against Olympiacos and when as soon as Dudek made that save I think I came in from doing my runs because I was like Liverpool are going to win this there's no way Andrew Shevchenko misses that and then they go on and win on penalties there's just no way it's incredible that it came to that but here we go Um, so is the romance and beauty of football dead No, it's not. Last season's Champions League, Liverpool against Barcelona proved that. Does it still have a place in the modern world, football world? Absolutely. This hasn't been the most uh, informative (laughs) or even well-balanced podcast that we're going to do. But I wanted to speak about this game because this is kind of the foundation of my belief that Anything can happen in football if you have the right attitude and the right amount of belief. Absolutely anything. So we'll be back in the coming days and weeks with more informative episodes, better put together, um, looking at old games, looking at old players, and obviously my thoughts on, on football and how football should be played. So, yeah, I'll see you soon and stay safe.